0: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you'll please stand with us.
1: Worship alone. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign. We are here for you. We are here for you. Out be your anthem, your renown. Fill the skies, we are here for you. We are here for you. Let your word move in power. Let what's there. oh open, nothing is here is hidden. You are our one desire. You alone are holy, only You are worthy, God. Let Your fire fall down. To You our hearts are open. Oh To you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden, you are our one desire. You alone are holy, only you are worthy, God, let your fire fall down, let it fall. Bye. Bye.
0: Amen. We are here to worship that great name, King Jesus. We're glad that you're here. While you're standing, would you take a moment and welcome those around you? All right, you may return to your seats. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Northside Baptist Church. We are glad that you're here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, We're thankful that you're here to worship with us today. If this is your first time, we would appreciate if you would let us know. You could do that one of two ways: there's a QR code that you can scan in the bulletin, or there's a connect card out there. um, in the foyer that you can fill out. I want to go over some announcements but before I do that if we have any kids who would like to come forward for our children's story time you may come join the lovely and talented Miss Ryan Hornsby who is my wife. Um, there we go. She is rocking uh, our VBS shirt for this year. That is a reminder of two things. One, you need to register, sign up. Volunteers and kids who are coming to VBS, you can register now. But also a reminder that if you are helping with Vacation Bible School, there is a meeting right after the worship service in the Fellowship Hall. So if you'll make your way there quickly, we can get started um, with, with that. And so just a couple other announcements. Baby Bottles. For the to Pregnancy services are due back next Sunday, Father's Day. So fill those up, bring those back. You can place them up here um, in the cradle. Want to encourage you to join us tonight. We have our board game night, 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. This was a lot of fun last year. Bring your favorite games, bring one of your favorite appetizers um, or finger food to share with everyone. And then one other thing that I want to mention that's coming up this week is that on Saturday we have our uh, monthly men's breakfast um, at 8 a.m. So come eat. It's always a great time of learning and encouraging other men. And then at 10 a.m., there's some work that's going to be done through CHOA. The address is there in the bulletin, men, women, youth. I know our youth are going to be coming back from camp, but you're welcome to come help men and women. So I want to encourage you to be part of that. So last week we started... um, Esther and we're going to really pick that up this morning and so what we're going to do this morning if you have never heard Esther you're going to get an overview of that as we read the story of Esther from the 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 book I was getting ready to get that to you no I wasn't I was going to forget there we go, there we
2: go. okay so our story today comes from Esther 1 through 4 and the title is more than a pretty face so let's find out what's going to happen Sometimes God's way of rescuing his people can start with a beauty contest. King Ahasuerus, that's a really hard name to say, he was the ruler over the whole Persian empire and he had a very lovely wife and her name was Vashti. So lovely that the king thought it was a great idea to have the queen show off her beauty to all the people of the kingdom. But Vashti didn't think it was such a great idea, and she refused to do it. She refused to do the king's personal parade. This made the king very angry. So he decided it was time for a new queen. He would hold a beauty contest for the women throughout the whole kingdom. And whoever won his favor would be the next queen. Well, just as it so happened, because God planned it that way, there was a young woman named Esther who was very pretty. The king was very delighted with her, and she became the new queen. Although the king didn't know it yet, Esther was a Jew, an Israelite. She was part of God's covenant family. Many people hated the Jews, including one of the king's officials, a man named Haman. Haman was upset because Esther's uncle, Mordecai, another kind of hard name, refused to bow down before him. Like a good Jew, Mordecai knew that only God deserves our worship. This filled Haman with fury. He was so angry that he wanted to kill Mordecai and all the Jews. So Haman tricked the king into signing a decree that all the Jews should be killed on a certain day. The day would be determined by the casting of lots, which is kind of like rolling dice, which might happen at game night tonight. In their language, the lot was called Purr. When Mordecai Mordecai learned of the plot to kill the Jews, he begged Esther, you've got to do something. You can't stay silent any longer. If you don't help your people, God can still save them another way. But you and your father's house will perish. Now, this is the most famous part of the story. And Mordecai said to Esther, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We can't always see God's plan, but we can see where he places us. And when we have an opportunity to do the right thing, we should always take it. Esther knew that going before the king was very dangerous, but she decided that she had to do something. If I perish, I perish, she said. Wow, she was a brave queen. So Esther and Mordecai came up with a brilliant plan to trick Haman at his own trickery. They invited Haman to a meal where he thought he was going to be honored and recognized, but he ended up being exposed as a liar. When the king saw Haman's lies, he killed Haman instead of killing the Jews. In fact, on the very day that the Jews were to be killed, they gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews celebrated with a feast of Purim because God had worked all things for their good. And God still works all things for our good. He is in control of everything. From lots to dice to royal banquets and even beauty contests too. Okay, you all ready to pray? Okay. Oh Lord God, we just thank you so much that you are the king over everything, and that you work out all things just as you please and for our good. And we are so very thankful for that. Amen. Stand again as we continue. To
3: taking a trip on a plane the other day just a wishing that I could get out. When a man next to me saw the book in my hand and asked me what it was about. So I settled back in my seat, a bestseller I said, a history, a mystery in one. Then I opened up the book and began to read from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was born of a virgin, one holy night in
0: Gathered round Him underneath the stars
3: Singing praises to the great I Am He walked on the water Healed the lame and made the blind To see again And for the first time here on earth We learned that God Can be a friend And though He never ever did A single thing wrong The angry crowd chose Him And then He walked down the road And died on the cross and that was That's not a new book, that's the Bible, he said, and I've heard it all before. I've tried religion, it's shame and guilt, and I don't need it anymore. It's superstition made of tales, just to help the weak to survive. Let me read it again, I said, but listen closely, this is going to change your life. of a virgin one holy night in the little town of Bethlehem.
0: Angels gathered round
3: Him, underneath the the stars singing praises to the great I Am,
0: He to inquire all right at this time our kiddos are going to make their way to children's church just a reminder as you're going if your child is going into kindergarten in august they are moving up to the k through second children's church so just make note of that we've already promoted our kiddos everyone else if you'll take your copy of god's word and turn to the book of esther Esther chapter 1. Esther chapter 1. Now, usually, what I do before every sermon is we will read the text and we'll stand in honor of the reading of God's word. But when we come to Esther, there's some long chunks of scripture. We're going to do entire chapters. And, And the other thing is, I want you to see this kind of unfold. So I'm not going to read the whole text at the beginning. But rather, we're going to just work through it verse by verse by verse. And so, um, I'm not going away from the practice of standing to read God's Word. We're just going to do it a little bit different this summer, as we sometimes would have to read 30 verses um, a week. So, Esther chapter 1, please have a copy of God's Word. Follow along. I read out of the ESV uh, version. Several years ago, uh, Ryan and I, and many in this room have had this opportunity as well, Uh, We went to the Biltmore House. You've been through the Biltmore House. uh, You've seen it. uh, The garden. You've you've gone through all of it. The Biltmore House spans 175,000 square feet. 250 rooms. Includes 35 bedrooms. 43 bathrooms. 65 fireplaces. Three kitchens. A library. A music room a smoking room, a gun room, for those of you that have guns, a bowling alley, a gymnasium, and all this in 1895. Like, it's just this massive house. It is beautiful, it is impressive, and it is unnecessary. Like, who needs that many bedrooms and bathrooms unless you are a hotel? Uh, It is excessive. And as you're walking through there, you can't help but be in awe of the beauty of it, but then also kind of like, man, was this really necessary to spend all this money on this house? In verses 1 through 9, we are introduced to a king, um, Ahasuerus, King Xerxes, and In these opening verses, the author wants us to see this massive display of power and of wealth. And in seeing it, you're in awe of it, but at the same time, you're kind of revolted by it. Like, it's excessive. There's a lot of pride here. And the author is intentionally drawing our attention to this as he's setting up this story. And so let's talk about the king This morning, because he's the first person you're introduced to. So what do we know about this king? There's a lot that we could say about the king, but we're just going to focus on two things. Two things I want you to notice about the king. Number one, and then we'll read some scripture, is he is a self-glorifying king. He's a self-glorifying king. This king, and you're going to see it, has power, he has wealth, and he has no problem flaunting it. So let's pick up in verse one. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. And here's where you begin to see it. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. So in the third year of his reign, this king holds a feast. He holds a party that lasts about six months. It's 180 days. That is a long, long party. Like if your party lasts longer than two hours, I'm ready to go home. 180 days, like come on, right? He invites military leaders, princes, and nobles. If you were someone, at some point you came to this long, elaborate party. And the purpose of this six-month feast is explicitly mentioned here in verse 4. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his what? Greatness. Of his greatness for many days, 180 days. This king is a proud, self-glorifying king. He had inherited a vast Persian empire from his father, Darius the king. And now he is the present king of the present superpower of the day, Persia. The author tells us he reigned from India to Ethiopia he's currently living in Susa one of the capitals and this would be where modern day Iran is if you're trying to place it on a map and so he throws this lengthy feast he's filled with pride he wants the glory all for himself now two things of note here two themes that you see throughout the book of Esther one of the themes is that of feast feast In the first nine verses, you see three feasts, one that lasts 180 days, another one, we'll look at it in a moment, lasts seven days, and then when you drop down to verse nine, Queen Vashti, or Vashti, I've heard it pronounced both ways, say it how you want to say it, gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. So three feasts in the first nine verses. Now if you know the story of Esther, you know when you get to chapter nine and ten, there's another feast. The Feast of Purim, a feast that Jews still celebrate today. So the author, one thing he's doing in the opening chapter is he's drawing you to all these feasts to prepare us for what is to come. Another theme that you will notice throughout the book of Esther is this theme of sudden reversals. Sudden reversals. You see several of them explicitly mentioned where you think it's going in one direction. For example, right, the gallows are going to be built to hang Mordecai. And then there's a sudden reversal to now the man who built them, he's the one that will be hung. Like, I didn't see that coming, a sudden reversal. Well, there is a sudden reversal that is going to happen that you don't see mentioned in chapter one. But those who are coming in the years to follow as they hear the story of Esther would have known because they would have known their own history. So almost every commentary that I read this week talked about, and again, we don't, we don't know this explicitly from Esther, that one of the reasons for this 180-day-long feast is the king is gathering all the princes, all the nobles, because he wants them to form this coalition to go to war against Greece. It's called the Great War Council of 483 B.C. So here you have an arrogant, proud king, king of the superpower, and his father, Darius, had tried to conquer Greece, but had suffered defeat. And so King Ahasuerus, the son of the dad who lost, decides, I'm going to get revenge. And so he tries to pull together this massive army to go defeat Greece four years after the events of chapter one King Ahasuerus and his army go to attack Greece and he suffers a humiliating defeat that's a sudden reversal if you look just at the opening verses you're thinking man this king he ain't ever going to lose like I've never lost undefeated but he's going to suffer a humiliating defeat at the hands of Greece. An arrogant, powerful, self-promoting king is defeated and humiliated. And here's what we know. Though he's powerful, he's not all-powerful. Powerful, but not all-powerful. And he will suffer So he's a self-glorifying king. Then we notice he's a self-indulging king. If 180 days wasn't long enough for a party, he decides, hey, let's throw one more. This one only lasts for seven days. And this feast is one that is for all the people of Susa. That's what verse 5 says. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the citadel, both great and small, A feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. And the author begins to describe what you would see if you're walking through the palace. Just like you walk through the Biltmore house and you notice things, he's going to explain what we see. And I want you to notice the picture that is painted here. A king who had an abundance of wealth. Like this is over the top. It's not necessary. Ian DeGuide Guide writes, We are meant to be impressed and awed by this display of excess and a little revolted by its wastefulness. So let's see what the author tells us. There were, verse 6, white cotton curtains, violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold. Man never seen a couch of gold I've seen some couches after the University of Kentucky won a big game that were burned in the streets of Lexington I was never there for that but they would burn them I've never seen couches of gold they don't sound comfortable to sit on I can tell you that but this king he's got couches of gold but he's not done and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry marble mother of pearl and precious stones Verse 7, drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds. You ever been to a a gathering? I I know we've done this at a couple events that we've had here. If it was in somebody's home, they'll they'll have like solo cups, red, green, blue, and they'll take out a permanent marker and you're to write your name on the cup because everybody's got the same cup. Now what the author is wanting us to know here is that in this feast, everyone had a different cup that's how extravagant this is like my cup is not like your cup which is not like the other person's cup you don't have to write your name on these cups nobody has one like you this is how extravagant and wealthy this king is drinks were served in golden vessels and they're made of gold sure beats our red solo cups vessels of different kinds and the royal wine The best wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king, and drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. Now, commentaries, most of them agree on this, that when you would come to a feast, if the king drank, you had to drink. But on this occasion, he says there is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. So he, because he likes to rule everything, is now giving you the freedom. If you want to drink, fine. If you don't, don't. If you want to get drunk, that's fine. If you don't even want to touch it, that's fine. Do whatever you want to do. Ian Guide, after he talks about how we are to be impressed and awed and yet a little revolted, writes this, Ahasuerus is the very picture of power and wealth, both of which are squandered on his own appetites. And then he adds this sentence. And remember, these would have been our tax dollars at work. Live however you want to live. But once it's my money, my tax dollars, let's not waste it on a bunch of stuff. Anybody relate to that in the country in which we live like excessive spending? We don't need to do all that. And so we are to be in all of this. Now, one of the commentaries I thought made a really uh, helpful observation here. When you read the first eight verses, what do you notice? You notice a man, a king, who really wants to be God. He's got all the power, all the possessions, all the wealth, right? He's flaunting it. He wants total control. What do you not notice in these first eight verses? Any acknowledgement of the one true God being the supreme, all-powerful God. You have a man who thinks... Man, he can rule the world. And the author wants our focus on that as the story begins to unfold. Now, two points of application. When you you work through a narrative like this, right, that takes place in their culture, in their day, right. the, the, the main point is you want to know, hey, what is this text teaching us? We're going to see that next week as we get into some things like, hey, this is a side point you could teach on, but it's not the main point. And so just trying to think as we get into Esther, just two points of application for us. Number one is this, as this story unfolds, you and I need to be reminded that the Jews, because they play a key role in this, the Jews, God's people, are exiles. Persia, before that, Babylon, it's not their home. They had been in their home, the land that God had promised, but because of their idolatry that they would never fully repent of and turn from, God allows Israel and then Judah to be taken into captivity. They're living in a place that is not their home. They are living in a foreign land under the rule of a pagan king who does not worship the one true God. And here's the temptation for the Jewish people as they live as exiles. It is either to assimilate, or to get to a place of despair so to assimilate with the Persian culture culture that would be the temptation to look and to see the king or to see other people in their pursuit of wealth and fame and power and to say yeah that's what I want I want the couches of gold and I want all of these cups of gold and I want the fame and I want the power It is to live a life of self-glory. It's all about me and what I want, or to live a life of self-indulgence. That's one temptation, to assimilate. The other temptation is to come to a place of despair, to lose heart, as you see the godlessness around you. Church, in 2023, the temptation is the same for you and I hear me as much as i love this country this is not my home it's not my home i'm a exile i'm a sojourner i'm just passing through until the day in god's sovereign providence he calls me home where i will live with king jesus forever and ever and eventually will rule with him live with him in the new heavens and the new earth so i'm here temporarily And as I'm here as a follower of Christ in this country, the temptation is to do one of two things to assimilate or to come to a point of despair. To assimilate. To become like the culture around us. To run after power, to run after wealth, to run after fame. To adopt, hear me, the culture and the practices of the world around us. And this month, the month of June, pride month is really a month in which the world is trying to force you and I to be like the world. You can't, brothers and sisters, escape it. Ryan and I just spent 3 or 4 days in in Florida. On the way back yesterday, flying back in to the Atlanta airport, and some of you work at the airport, getting on the train to come back to the main terminal. As we're passing, you see that the Atlanta airport is a pride airport, and and there's the flag. And some of you, you work there. You're like, I don't want it to be that way, but you're not in control. And then, to begin to see images coming out from the White House. That in between two American flags is the pride flag. Now hear me, you and I must recognize that sin is sin. No one in this room is without sin. You have sin. So it's hypocritical of us and holier than thou of us to focus on other people's sin all the while ignoring our own sin. So start with your own heart. Start there first. But then also to recognize God's word is clear and he calls sin, sin. And we want to love them. We want to be there for them because, hear me, hear me, church, you can't hate them. You can't annihilate them and, and, and be done with them because a the day's coming in which many of them, including many of you in this room, who pursued sin at some point in your life and realized it left you empty and you returned to Jesus. And so when, when that happens, for many people who are pursuing the things of the world and the culture, decide, hey, this doesn't fill me. I want Jesus. they got to be able to come back to the church who never shunned them, but who taught them the truth the whole time. They say, this is who Jesus is. And so the temptation is to assimilate. It was packaged to us, and I hope all of us saw through it. It was packaged to us. Just let us marry whoever we want to marry just let us live our life. But we knew it wouldn't stop there. And you're at the point now in our culture where if you do not celebrate, then you are against them. And they will come for you. I I, I don't preach on this stuff a lot a lot i let the text preach and if we're there we're there but the reality is when you think about the temptation for us to assimilate the temptation has never been greater celebrate bow down at the gods of our culture or we will cancel you we will fire you you will lose your job we're coming for you so assimilate or the temptation is to despair to lose heart because you're exiles, you're not supposed to be comfortable here. to lose heart because you're persecuted. To lose heart because people are sending you emails, or they're calling you out at work because you've told them where you stand, or, or maybe you're just misunderstood, and they, they're, they're just not understanding what we really believe and that we love you, but we also understand what God's word says, and we want to see all people become more like Jesus. And so we get frustrated and we lead to a place of despair. And my challenge to you is, don't do either. Don't do either. Follow Jesus. And Jesus' model for us is not one of self-glory. It's not one of self-indulgence. It was one of self-denial. That was Jesus' lifestyle. Philippians 2, 4-11. through Read it this week. That he humbled himself to the point of death. That he wasn't about self-glory. He wasn't about self-indulgence. Yeah, I don't want that pain. No, he humbled himself to the point of death to redeem a people for his own possession, for his own choosing, his own glory. And yes, God exalted him at the right hand of God the Father, but he chose a lifestyle of self-denial. And may that be the way that we choose. Not one of self-glory and self-indulgence like King Ahasuerus, but let's be like Jesus, one of self-denial. But here's the second point, and here's the main point, that we will drive home week after week after week when it comes to Esther, and that is this, God is the almighty ruler and the sovereign king. There is only one who is in control. It's not you, and it's not me. The Almighty God is in control. King Ahasuerus, King Xerxes, man, he thought he was the big dog. Like he thought he was the big dog. I'm sure when he looked at himself in the mirror, he's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm on top everybody bows down and worships me i'm the supreme leader of the superpower of the day right a certain thing that has to come with the president of the united states right we've been the superpower for years and there's there's something that comes along with that title and he he believed that to be himself but he's about to learn he's not in control at all he isn't great he isn't awesome for the lord our god is the one who is awesome let me just read some scripture for you. Isaiah forty twenty two through 23. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? King Xerxes thought he was the big dog and God says, man, you're more like a grasshopper. More like a grasshopper. Daniel four, thirty-four through thirty-five, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Romans chapter eleven. Romans chapter eleven says this, verses thirty-three through. 36 all the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments how inscrutable are his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor like who's counseling the Lord our God no one who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever amen Consider the Psalm, Psalm 47. Psalm 47, verses 7 and 9. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with the Psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Or consider Psalm 99. Psalm 99, verses 1 through 3. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Karen Jobes writes, Even in the most pagan corner of the world, God is ruling all things to the benefit of his people and to the glory of his name. Warren Weersby writes, People in authority need to remember that all authority comes from God, And that he alone is in complete control. Pharaoh had to be reminded of this. So God takes Pharaoh and his army and he drowns them in the Red Sea. King Agrippa, who refused to give God glory but kept it for himself, had to be reminded that only God gets the glory. And he learned this lesson as he died being eaten by worms. Learn this lesson, sisters, brothers in Christ. You are not in control. You're not the center of the universe. This life is not about you. It's not about your dreams. It's not about making a name for yourself. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Our God is an awesome God. Now if I was one who could sing, I would sing right now, but I'm not going to. You remember that song when you were growing up? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. We sing a praise song that has these lyrics. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. King Xerxes thought he was powerful he thought he was in control he thought he was something but hear me he's no match for yahweh he's no match for yahweh he doesn't come close to the all-powerful sovereign king of the universe we have people today who are ruling and reigning and they think they are something listen god is king of kings and Lord of lords he is in control so let me go back to the two temptations as we conclude do you know why you don't assimilate do you know why as somebody who claims the name of Jesus, who has the banner written over his life, follower of Jesus, do you know why you don't assimilate? Why you don't become like the world? Why you don't become like the culture? Because listen to Psalm 99, verse 3. It says, holy is He. Holy is He. And in First Peter, Peter tells us that you are chosen. That you are Holy a holy people that you are a royal priesthood a people for god's own possessions to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light it says in scripture that you are to consider right the lord our god in your hearts holy why because he is holy and you have been called out of that darkness and out of sin, and you have been set apart. You're never to look like this world. And if you want to look like this world, then you're never going to really follow Jesus. Because to follow Jesus means Jesus is holy, and I want to be holy. Not holier than thou. It's not your job to clean them up. You can't. Your job is simply to point them to Jesus Christ. And the truth of His Word. And to say, hey, I have sinned too. And Jesus has saved me from my sin. Because I once was self-indulgent and self-glorifying. But God rescued me out of that. And now, because He is holy and He is in me, I abstain from the passions of the world. I say no to the things of the flesh. Because Jesus died to set me free. Or holy. Or to be holy. It's why we don't live like the world. But hear me, I also don't want you to lose hope. Why? Because Psalm 99 verse 3 says, Let them praise your great and awesome name. You know why you don't lose hope? Because you serve a great and awesome God. Who when when you think the world is falling apart, when you think this person is in complete control, when you think... God, you're not doing anything in my life. God sits enthroned in the heavens, and He is ruling and reigning in all things and always for His glory alone. He's the all-powerful sovereign God. And as we're going to sing in just a moment, how great is our God. He is great and He is worthy of your praise. So stand fast in that remain steadfast stand firm in the sovereign power of god knowing that he is using you at this moment humble yourself confess your sins turn from them and run to jesus and be saved would you close your eyes and bow your head father i pray right now Lord, that we would recognize at this very moment that you are the sovereign, ruling, and reigning God, which means you know all things. You know our hearts. You know the sin in our hearts right now. You know our sinful thoughts, our sinful deeds, our sinful actions. And, Father, it would be foolish of us to think that we could hide those from you. So, Father, right now, would you just bring us to a point of confession and of repentance if we are choosing self-glorification or self-indulgence rather than self-denial and walking with Jesus, then would you bring about that change in us right now? Cause us to fall before you in confession and full dependence upon you, knowing that you will cleanse us of our sin. Father, you are the sovereign God and you will empower your people. If you call us holy, God, you recognize we can't be holy in our own strength. And when you say, Be holy as I am holy, God, you will give us what we need to be holy. So, Father, help us today if we're losing heart, if we're tempted to assimilate, help us to stand firm, to stand fast upon your word and upon the promises of your word. And a culture, God, that is becoming more and, and more dangerous to resist, as we'll see next week. Resistance is costly, it costs. Queen Vashti, the very very crown, because she resists. And we see that it could have cost Esther her very life to resist a a royal decree. Father, if we resist the culture, if we say no to the culture, we need to recognize it may cost us everything. And God, we ought to be willing to let all of that go. Because in Christ, we have what no one can take from us which is an eternal life and eternal hope in Jesus, a king who is not like King Ahasuerus, but is the exact opposite of that king. And Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to you and to you alone. So, fathers, we sing how great is our God. Oh, Lord, may this not just be lip service, but may we from the bottom of our hearts acknowledge right now that you are a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The altar is open if you need to come. If there's a decision you need to make, you come forward. But let's just worship the Lord our God together as a church family. This You may be seated for a few moments. want to have a sweet family. You guys come up here with me. Just a portion of their family. The the others are in Children's Church. Oh! Oh, wow. Look at this. All right. All right, so I'm going to introduce them, and then I'll let you introduce the other five because I don't want to get names wrong. I know most of them, but... All right, so this is Chris, and then that is Tiffany... Mercure, Mercure, Mercure. Mercure. Um, so, so many of you know them, um, yeah, so there, there you go, they've been visiting for a while, but part of their faith story in, involves Northside Baptist Church, and so you'll get to hear that at some point, uh, but Chris and Tiffany are both born again believers in Christ, followers of Christ, they followed him in baptism, Chris was actually baptized here at Northside in 2012, is that correct? Yeah. And so they're coming this morning to join Northside to partner with us in what God is doing. And so would you rejoice in that decision with them? You want to will you tell everybody your names if I get you a mark?